Film to Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a movie, we review it, talk about it, discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And as always, we'll end with our recommendations for further reading following this week's film. But before we kick off, a quick catch-up on what else we've been watching. So, Rob, what about you? This week, for me, has seen the return of one of my favourite TV shows of, of probably earlier this year and last year, which is Mr. Robot. Have you seen Mr. Robot, Sam? No, I keep meaning to, because I keep being told it's brilliant. It, 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 it is, it is, it is brilliant. Um, it is, I'm not sure if it's a Netflix or an Amazon, but it's, a, it's an online exclusive, I believe, and it tells the story of a young hacker living in New York and his balancing of being a hacker and his day life of being a information security worker it is hackers the tv uh, the film if hackers was correct um the films the show, the show made a lot of ways of actually having the correct terminology and the correct processes of hacking it isn't you know all flying graphics is a lot of command line stuff so it for me it's very good i think it's well done the, the lead guy uh, who plays Elliot um, in it is is outstanding, um, and I just think all around it's, it's, it's a great, great show. And season two has come back this week. Uh, the first two eps are out currently. I've only seen the first one currently, but it uh, it's, it seems as good as it was last season. So I'm very excited about that. Great, Sam. Um, well, I'm talking about TV as well. I haven't been to the cinema much recently, and we had a. A sort of film watching night um, over the weekend, um, but it turned out that we didn't really have the attention span for a film, so we went for um, an episode of Sherlock from the first series instead. And I do feel like this has lost its way a bit recently, and I get excited when they release new episodes, and inevitably they're not quite as good as I want them to be. Uh, but the first series I loved. Um, the what, what are we on now? The fourth, fourth or fifth, maybe. Um, and they had a, a weird um, time traveling one last year. Um, it it seems to, in places, have jumped the shark. But it certainly had not in the first series. It was brilliant in the first series. Is this the Benedict Cumberbatch one? Yes, yes, when it comes back, my premium. It was in the first series much more about their relationship, um, and it was very well done. And I'd forgotten actually, you watched the first episode, which starts with um, the effects of PTSD on John Watson's character as a mm-hmm. veteran. And I thought that was very interesting, and something that sort of gets left by the wayside a bit but it is something that that would be relevant uh, and they could have made more of and didn't as the series went on and then from the sublime to ridiculous continuing the theme of Sam Rob talk about films that weren't actually that good um, I turned off Sherlock and it was Thor on Channel 4 and the the Marvel Thor is one of the one of a small number of films I will actually turn off if they're on, because I just find it so dull. 
Rob, how do you feel about Thor? I like Thor, but I like Thor as the character quite a lot. I enjoy Thor, the portrayal of it. I appreciate the films aren't anything to write home about. Mm. Um, I think Thor 2 in place is better than Thor 1. Um, but I, I have a lot of time for Hemsworth and, and him, as, him as Thor, and that gets me right. through a lot of that film. If I were to say to you that he suffers from the same problems as Superman, I think, in being a bit too clean-cut, what would you say to that? I would agree with you to a certain point, but I think for me the interesting Thor comes in the everything else. Like Thor's going to win a, a straight-up-and-down battle, but the interesting story about him, it's in the first one, about him becoming a whole person. So the film is about him overcoming this, you know, I can kill anything, you know, but how do I not kill and all that kind of thing. And that, that, that to me is interesting. But, you know, a lot of it is I like Hemsworth. You know, when it comes to Superman, I really like Dean Cain. I can't say I, I, I reached out to Brandon Ruth or um, whoever the latest one is. Emery uh, was first. Yeah, like I, I couldn't care for the actors, so it doesn't carry me through a film. But I, I completely right. see where you're coming from in that, like, he, when it comes to fighting people on, on Earth, you are aware that he is a god, mm. um, and that has has an advantage there. But which I think that's why interesting that in those films, the bad guy of Loki is not a strong person; he is a smart person, shall we say? Mm. Um, and that's the interplay between those two. But I, 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 I will happily admit to the Superman parallels that you're pointing towards. Moving we on. should move on. Yes. So yes. This week we are starting up. Uh, the first in a new franchise of films, and that is The Born Identity. He has the skills you, stop right there. of a dangerous man. I need to know what went wrong. I think he snapped. But he has no memory. We don't take care of this, we will both burn. It's trained. Conditioned. Built to disappear. I'll give you ten thousand dollars to drive me to Paris. Coming out in two thousand two, the Born Identity is the first in the Born series. It stars Matt Damon as the uh, titular Jason Bourne, a man who wakes up in the middle of the ocean with no memory of who he is. As he goes forward, he discovers that he seems to have innate skills of tradecraft and spy work and violence. And it's about his mission, or a self-given mission, to uncover who he is, why he was where he was, and return to being a whole person. It's got support from Franco Patente, it's got support from Chris Cooper, Clive Owen, Brian Cox. I'm not going to try and pronounce Adderwale's name, who plays Wombosi, the bad guy, but you can recognise him as Mr Echo from Lost. I know if I try and pronounce his name, I will brutally massacre it. I don't want to do that to man. It's got Julia Stiles in it. It's got great support throughout as all these little bit parts. It comes pre-Casino Royale, post, um, post, post Austin Powers, which is something we'll touch on later. But Sam, as the first in this new franchise, what were your thoughts on Identity? Well, I should say, first of all, that I absolutely love this film. Um, 
I have a lot of time for this franchise. Um, and this film is one I've seen many, many times. Um, and this meant that... Um, I mean, it, it was good to watch it in a different way as we do for this podcast. And I, I watched it in one sense, um, thinking about the sound, the way that music and sound are used in a particularly interesting way in this film. Um, and I wonder whether there is there is a difference that we'll see with later films when you have a change in director with the way that maybe Greengrass uses a soundscape differently to Doug Lyman, for instance. And that's something we could we could look at. Um, I particularly like the way that and this this builds on something we were talking about about Indiana Jones in, in past weeks. The way that he is just competent enough. Um, and this may this may come across a bit strange when you think about all the absurd fist fights that he wins and the um, using a, using a pen to stab someone and disarming two policemen and things like that. But what I mean is when he when he's on the run, he gets hurt, and if he is backed into corners, you have the scene on on the balcony in the snow. He tries to look for a way out, clambering upwards, and he slips and falls. And it's exactly how you'd expect someone to behave in that situation. So he's not, he's not superhuman in that way. Um, and I enjoyed that. So I, I was listening to the sound again there. Um, and I also want, wanted to think about the idea of amnesia in this film um, and how... This film is an interesting meditation on... I mean, you mentioned right at the beginning the way that this is... His his self-appointed quest is to find out about who he is, to find himself. Um, so, yes, Rob, what were, what were your thoughts on this film? Um, I feel this film falls into a category we've often discussed on this show of important but not that good. Okay. Um, it was strange watching this back. I mean, this film's from 14 years ago, which doesn't seem that long ago, but is, in terms of pop culture, a long time ago. It is shocking to me how slow the film is. We, we, we've we often l- um, lamented the nature of the, the, the sort of planet smashy, smashy, bang, bang nature of a lot of modern action films. Mm. But this, it was just so very, very slow. And to point where my wife literally got bored and left uh, about an hour in, just saying, it's just too slow, I'm just bored. And I can totally see where they're coming from. If I wasn't watching this for this podcast, I probably would have not made it to the end. Um, I didn't find it as riveting as I once remembered it to be. That being said, I think it's an interesting film, and I think it's an important film. I think this film, more than anything else has paved the way for the rehabilitation of the spy movie. Mm. You know, we've got... Bond films have been the gold standard for spy movies for years. And it got to the point of being so silly, you had the arrival of Austin Powers. 
and Austin Powers, the one-two punch of Austin Powers and Born Identity are got us where we are now. Austin Powers essentially just destroyed it. The Bond could not carry on after Austin Powers. Mm. There was no way to do that. But Austin Powers didn't give us a route back. Whereas this did. And I think this is where you mentioned the amnesia of the character. And I think that's an important part. Because what the amnesia does is it removes the link between the person and the skill set. So we have yes. we have the spy, the tradecraft of violence, knowing bombs, knowing technology. All this, the, the Bond skill set... But they're removed from personality, from the Bond mm. personality, and I don't think it's an accident that you've got JB Jason Bourne and JB James Bond, and you've got this this separation between these two halves of of a spy of the Bond character, which has held this stranglehold on on spy movies. So it took all of those skills, all of the distraction skills, or the gun skills, or the fighting skills, all that sort of stuff, took all of those and brought them forward. But by having the amnesia character, you managed to wipe clean the whole personality and make a new one. Mm. And I think that this is why I think it's important. This film, I think the film allowed us to go back. And I think it's, you can clearly draw a line from this film directly to Casino Royale, mm. um, which I do think is one of the best films, Bond films, um, in at least in my memory, been a long time. I think it's one of the best out there. But I think that you you, you don't have a Casino Royale. Unless you have Bourne first. No. And you have this idea of it being a, a conscious reboot with the Bonds. Well, a reboot was needed because mm. you couldn't have... Like you said, Austin Mowers didn't give us a route back in. And I've, I've written that. Actually, I've written down the dates for the last Bonds. And you have Goldeneye, Tomorrow Dies, 95, 97. And then, I mean, into the 21st century with the later Pierce Brosnan's. But this. This is a time where Bond gets increasingly ridiculous. Mm. Um, so this and this is a where Casino Royale was a reboot of Bond. This is a reboot of the spy film. Um, I also wondered whether the. I mean, we, we've talked about this. You've talked about this in in terms of pop culture. I wonder whether this is um, this is a film from a historical perspective as well, that this film comes out and, well, given the timetable for a film, this film was being made as a response to September 11th, 9-11. And I wonder whether this was, this search for identity that you have with Bourne, this recovering the self after amnesia, was important for the western world in general because mm. this was an event that had had shaken people psychologically as well as the physical effects of 9/11 but maybe this sort of this sort of a reboot was something that the the world at large was going through as well and that that's that's why I, I would put this film squarely in the this is an interesting film because it it we often talk about sort of meta narratives in film here, and films in their place in general society. So, like aside from being the narrative of Jason Bourne, there's the narrative of Jason Bourne the film, and this film could not have come at any other time. Yeah. You know, you've got the early two thousands with all the pop of that time, the slow death of Bond, and and the, the gap in the market for a good 
Um, it's my film. Now I know that they are based on books, and I, I, I can't speak to how linked, how close they are to those books, or how related the stories are. But this film feels like a reaction to other films, rather than a, a copying of a, um, excuse me, <clears throat> rather than a, a copying of a book. But I think it's also just interesting in this film that we've kind of got the bad guys in this film are not the traditional spy bad guys. The bad guys are the American government. Mm. And up until this point, generally, I would say that most spy films, most big popular spy films, had a very clear bad guy, you know. that There are whole essays about, you know, when bad guys became Russian or became English or became South um, Asian, that that represents a mood in sort of modern society. In 2002, you are post-9-11, albeit just. Um, we are in that kind of era of this sudden questioning of the the established hierarchies of our society. Millennium's brought around, obviously, the thing that came with that, and this film sort of feels very of that time, and that we've got these bad guys who are government bureaucrats. And that's something you see you see in later films as well. But it's it's something refreshing about this film. You're right, it sort of inverts the idea of a spy film because mm. so in in a spy film maybe you've got a mole working in in another country and the bad guys are trying to get him and in this you've got He's not. He's not a double agent. He's just a straightforward person who is being targeted by his own people from inside in this mm. weird, like, autoimmune disease of a film. To to offer a biological comparison, but you have this idea of the American government, like you said, being the bad guy and, and terrorizing one of their own. I, if we're talking about the reverse of the traditional film. There are two other things I, w- I would highlight, one of which is his mission. If you look at the traditional Bond films, the man gets a mission, go to South Tower Seas and deal with Blofeld, and then we deal with that, and there's twists and turns, but you always know who the bad guys and the good guys are, and you always know what's going on, whereas this, it very much plays about that he didn't really know his mission, he just kind of, he's, he's trying to work out what the hell's going on as well. And it's about uncovering this mm. mission that happened previously. And also, there is the character, um, played by Frankie Potenti, of of Marie, who I suppose is the closest thing you get to a Bond, a Bond girl in this film. And whilst Frank Penny is is a very beautiful woman, she certainly isn't, you know, Christmas Jones from Bond. She isn't that kind of of female lead. Mm. Um, and I think there's a nice subversion there, and you've got this character who feels like a. Um, obviously a romantic interest of Bourne but it doesn't feel like the kind of conquest that you often see in spy films um, and I think that's an interesting kind of play words. that being said I did find her character incredibly annoying um, when watching it back she just was just like she was just a bit wet and annoying but I did think they did some good interesting work in making her a 3D character especially with the, the, when they go when they go to the house in the snow and it opens up this idea of history to her history with maybe another man who's clearly got kids someone else you've got this there's, there's a whole kind of story there 
Um, and many films, especially in the spy film, where it's all about the spy, every other character kind of doesn't exist between those films. Mm. You know, Miss Moneypenny mm. doesn't have a job apart from interacting with Bond. M doesn't do anything but give Bond the mission. So all these characters kind of just exist in relation to the main guy or girl. Whereas mm. you felt here that she was a whole person with her own problems and, and thoughts and feelings. And yes, she fell in love with Bourne, but it never felt like she only existed to serve him. There's something there, and I've written a note here, about how real the dialogue was between the two characters. And you have the conversation between them in the car. And there's some, something about, about pacing as well that I can understand Stand, I suppose you, you're not getting on board with how, how slow this film was, but it felt for me that this film just just unwound at exactly the pace it needed to, um, and, and that that was maybe slower than other films, but part of that was because of this reality, and you have, and I've got this, I've made note of the conversation between them in the car, you've got this how could I forget about you from Matt Damon and you think it's kind of a it's a bit of a pump fake because you think there's going to be a sort of romantic outpouring Mm -hmm. and Marie obviously thinks that as well and then he ends with you're the only person I know and it's this utterly pragmatic of course she's the only person he knows he's had that media so I, I really I really enjoy the reality of dialogue like that um, and that's something and I've, I've mentioned the Green Vice films already but I think that's something that gets a little bit lost later on that's something that I think Doug Lyman was very good at in this first one hmm. so Sam some recommendations some further reading from this week onwards yes now, this is a film that we mentioned last week. Um, it's the original Mission Impossible film. Mm-hmm. Now, it's very dated. I saw it again recently. And if you think that um, Born Lay and Sea from 14 years ago was dated, then Mission Impossible from 21 years ago is incredibly dated. The, the computers are laughable. For example... Um, but it was pretty good at the time. I remember seeing this film and thinking, this is possibly futuristic. I like this. Um, and we've mentioned already that Bond was still in the silly phase, sort of just about as Austin Powers was getting ready to come out, so you have Goldeneye Tomorrow Never Dies. And Mission Impossible was a genuinely exciting spy film. And I think the Bonds at this time were still a bit a bit pedestrian I found them. Um, so although the original Mission Impossible film is incredibly dated and in fact that's probably a reason to watch it you can go go and laugh at it um, it's still it was still for its time a pretty good spy film and my second one um, sort of speaks to this idea of a, a reality in the dialogue between these two at times this reminded me of the pacing and the reality, the awkwardness and the romance of Before Sunrise, another film from the mid-90s, 95. Um, the 
thoughtful way the scenes between Bourne and Marie were shot reminded me very much of some of the scenes from Richard Linklater films. So those are my two for this week. Fair enough. I just to, to add some feedback to your thoughts there. I would, I wouldn't say that Bourne feels dated. I think it feels slow, but I, I think it's worth noting that it doesn't actually feel. It doesn't feel fourteen years ago because the technology isn't like it isn't like futuristic technology. It feels still relevant in that kind of way. It's still so modern. Right. And I've never yeah. seen any of the uh, sunset, um, the before sunset um, trilogy at all. People, people well, often it, read about it, but it, it's one of those blowing spots. I've just never seen them. If you think some of the pacing in the Bonaire's Deer slow, then you just wait for before sunrise. Well, I have no problem with slow. Like, I'm a big fan of that, like Lost in Translation, which is slow. I enjoy slow cinema. Mm. This just felt weirdly slow, but I think that's because I'm so used to modern action films that aren't slow. Right. Uh, my recommendations uh, are very different in many ways. So, my first recommendation is from, excuse me, 1998, so four years before Bonaire's and stars Franca Patente, her, the Marie from this film. She starred in a film from Germany called Run, Lola, Run. Um, which is the tale of Lola, who has to raise 100,000 Deutschmarks in about 20 minutes. And it's kind of a cross between The Raid and Sliding Doors. Which isn't the thing I ever thought I'd say. <laughs> but there is a moment in which she runs out of a door and turns left and you see that that whole thing play out and then it just cuts back to the start and she goes out the door and turns right and then it cuts back to the start and she goes out the door and goes forwards and you see the the smallest butterfly effects roll through this adventure and she ends up in very different places and it's exhilarating film it, 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 it's full on non-stop it is strange and it is German but it is an amazing film it's one that at some point, we, I want to cover once we move away from franchises on this show. I think it is very, very interesting and, and worth checking out. That's really interesting because you just described it as a combination of one of my favourite films and one of my least favourite films. I always knew you were a big Sliding Doors fan, so. <laughs> I always knew it. My second recommendation <laughs> is from two years earlier, but same director as The Boy Identity. And that is the 1996 cult classic Swingers, telling the tale of some wannabe actors in LA um, and sort of the mid 90s LA neo lounge scene. It's about girls and relationships. It's got Vince Vaughn and John Favreau in it, and probably Vince Vaughn's best performance, um, written by John Favreau. It is. Certain scenes are cringingly awkward, but at the same time, it is about four friends. It is cool, it is stylish, and it's very funny. And it has some of the sort of trademarks you see later on with the Bourne stuff of Doug Lyman's early work. It's in the same cultural box as Go that we've covered previously. Um, yeah. But it's it's uh, it's if you were a teenage boy in the nineties, you've probably seen Swingers. Obviously, Sam was, um, but. As, as a generous community, but if you haven't, it's it's not as well known these days. But it's definitely looking out. Right. So next week we're moving on in the Born series. I, I'm, but I believe there's the Born Supremacy coming up next. I can never remember. It's, it's the, the Born. It, it is it, the Born Supremacy. It is next. Um, so we will be picking that one up next week. Till then, you can find both of us on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. 
You can find just me at life underscore academic. Or you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you guys back here next week. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.